Good morning, church. Please open your Bibles to Psalms 135 if you have them. Psalms 135. Let's kick it off with a word of prayer. Father, thank you for this beautiful, sunshiny day. We, we've loved the rain that you sent. Needed it so much. So glad to be out of the drought that we were in for so many years. Uh, but we're asking for your rain to fall among us now. Thank you for this Holy Spirit that you have placed within us. But we're asking for a special moving of your spirit today. Would you speak through these words? Take this sack of a lunch of a message and uh, turn it into a feast for this family. Um, we realize that you're the only one who can truly present anything that matters and is good. We're not the only ones who believe that. The Southern Hills Baptist Church also is meeting today to break bread and to... Um, hear your word preached, to sing praises to you, that you are the greatest of all gods. And um, we join them today because we, we believe that there's power in our unity uh, to help this community know, number one, that you sent Jesus, and number two, that it mattered. Uh, please help us fulfill your own son's prayer to be one. And we ask us in his name and everybody said. It's not that we didn't know the world was an evil place. But perhaps we felt more protected than most people. More able to keep evil at bay. Yes, we knew that there were terrible things that happened around the world. Awful atrocities. But for many of us, they were the occasional thought and they, most of the time, were just a distant problem. Then one terrible Tuesday in September, 18 years ago, we realized what deep down we already knew. And that is that evil is everywhere. And it touches everybody. And when it does, it's worth noting that people flocked to places of worship like this to be around people like you, of faith and of hope. Because they were looking for comfort and they were looking for meaning at a very, very discombobulating time in their lives. And have you noticed when tragedy strikes like that, the media never calls the ACLU? One Christian minister said after 9-11, have you noticed that none of the talk shows were interviewing atheists on them? I think that's interesting. That when evil rained down, people looked up. We're launching a series today that Lord willing will take us through the last week in June when David Danielson will be back. We're swapping pulpits again. And uh, I'll be at uh, the Impact Church. David will be here the last Sunday in June. They're a, a church family that we're building a home with, a Habitat for Humanity home. And today at 1 o'clock, everybody say 1 o'clock. Today at 1 o'clock, we're going to be meeting at the house over at 125 Glen Court that we're building. And you're going to be get, uh, bring a pen with you, a Sharpie. And you'll be given a chance to write on the studs something that is meaningful from Scripture, either a direct quote or some, something that has meaning to you. And you can put those on the studs for the people at home to be living in and around uh, when they take ownership of that. That's going to be today at 1 o'clock. And we're sharing and doing that with impact. If you've ever wanted to graffiti something and you never saw a real good reason, here's your chance, all right? <laughs> For the next seven days, I... Not seven days, next seven... Whew, that would be a long week, wouldn't it, if you had to hear me seven days in a row? For the next seven weeks, I want to take a look at some difficult struggles that we're facing. And I'm going to ask the question, is the God we worship really greater than the struggles that we face. 
And I think it's important to ask these questions specifically now because we're about to launch one more class of seniors. And so I want to ask some questions before they leave that I know they're going to be seeking answers to on their own. The first of which is this. What are we going to allow to be the most significant influence in our life? What are we going to allow to be the most significant influence in our lives? Or maybe said this way, what will you determine to be your greater than? Here's why that matters, because I consistently make choices and I choose paths according to my greater than. Let me give you an illustration from Scripture in Genesis 29, verse 30. There we read about a Hebrew man by the name of Jacob. He has gone back to the land of his forefathers and he sees and he meets a woman by the name of Rachel. And literally, it is love at first sight, or at least as much as you can see of a woman who is wrapped in a tent. He's so deeply in love with her that he agrees to work for hire for her father for seven years for just the right to marry her. And he does. And it seems like seven days. But on the night of his wedding, he is stunned to learn that it is the custom of her people that the older daughter marries first. And so the father gives him, remember after seven years of hard labor, the older daughter Leah. But... He never announces this. He just makes sure all the lights don't work in the honeymoon suite. And Jacob consecrates his marriage with the wrong woman, Leah. Now later he is given Rachel to marry, but that's not till after another seven years of labor. But when she becomes his wife, his second wife, there are choices that Jacob is going to make and decisions that he's going to handle that will have impact, not only for his family, but an entire nation of families. And they're all based in one significant reality. The scripture says in Genesis 29 verse 30 that Jacob's love for Rachel was greater than his love for Leah. That simple reality, that simple decision, that simple basis for his life and love for his family Govern his life and govern his family according to what his greater than was. And I'm going to springboard from that and say, aren't we just like him? Isn't that how we make our decisions? Isn't that how we navigate difficult choices? Because all of that boils down to what we perceive to be our greater than. Choices of college right now are being made among seniors in high school because of greater than savings that exist at one certain college over another. Another campus has greater than looks about it or greater than reputation. Another has a greater than degree program. And so we're going to that school because it's greater than the others. The NFL draft just took place. And I don't know who your favorite team is, but they had their choices in the draft. I don't know, seven rounds, eight rounds, seven but when it came your time to, to draw, to draft in that NFL draft, people chose who they thought was the greatest cornerback or quarterback or linebacker available at the moment they had a chance to pick. Over the next two years, the news is going to be filled with Democratic candidates, all of them vying for the opportunity to run against President Trump. And they will say that they're the greatest candidate available, all of them. And then there will be a primary not long before we get to November 2020 to decide who is going to run against President Trump. But all of them are going to think and going to say that they're the greater than candidate. 
But we, of all people, understand greater than in Texas because we live in the state that is greater than all the other states. Amen? <laughs> and we have a reputation for knowing that. So I love the story of the Texan who went to visit some old classmates in Chicago. And they were going to impress them with their state, but it didn't matter what they showed him. Everything in Texas was greater because of this guy. I took him to the beautiful coast of Michigan, and the Texan said, Ah, that's a nice bit of sand, but let me show you the Gulf of Mexico. It's amazing. They took him to Champaign, the University of Illinois, and all he could say was, You need to go to Austin. You need to go to College Station. I'll show you a university, buddy. I took him to Soldier Field where the Bears play football, and he said, you've got to see AT&T Stadium where the Cowboys play. There's nothing on earth like it. Well, everything was bigger and better in Texas, and the friend from Illinois was just sick of it. So at dinner time, it was dark, and so he snuck down at a creek behind his house, and he got a huge snapping turtle. Walked back into the house, and his wife saw him as he was sticking it in his braggadocious Texan's bed. She said, what are you doing? He said, well, sometime in the middle of the night, he's going to throw back those covers, and that, that turtle's going to have bitten him, and he's going to be hopping up and down, and we're going to walk in. And he's going to say, what is this? And we're going to tell him, it's a Chicago bed bug. <laughs> That's exactly what happened. Sure enough, in the middle of the night, there was a scream. They ran into the bedroom where he was sleeping, and he was hopping around, and there was that snapping turtle on his big toe. And he said, what is that? And they said, it's a Chicago bed bug. And he said, yep, and it's a baby. <laughs> so whether you acknowledge it or not, your greater than is your functional God. It's your sovereign of choice. It governs your life, and so you need to be sure that your greater than truly is greater than. Which is why it's fair to say that the Bible, in a nutshell, I think, is God's resume as to why he's greater than all the other greater thans that you could ever serve. When the children of Israel are delivered from the Egyptians, Moses tells Jethro how it all unfolded. And his father-in-law, as he hears about the plagues and God's deliverance through them, cries out in Exodus 18:11, Now I know that the Lord is greater than all the other gods, for he did this to those who treated Israel arrogantly. Well, this became the message of Israel's people. And it became their theme song. As a matter of fact, many of their songs had lines like this from Psalms 135 in them. I know that the Lord God is great. That our Lord is greater than all gods. Now, a few moments ago, you sang... A similar line or a couple of lines to that in the song that we just sang before this message. And you did a great job. But the job that I hope we do best is when we leave this place and live our lives out there in all the places you live them. And someone sees that reality, not just hears us singing it. Because there's consequences for going through life with the lesser than God. Maybe the first question we need to deal with is one that's kept some of you from following him, though. And here it is. How can you reconcile God's claim to be greater than 
when there's so much evil in the world? Fair question. How can you reconcile God's claim to be greater than when there is so much evil in the world? Shortly after 9-11, Max Lucado was in New York City attempting to speak to the tragic bombings of the Twin Towers and the people who needed comfort from that. On his way to his hotel, he asked the cab driver how his life had been affected since the attacks. The cab driver said, well, I am forever getting lost without those twin towers. And Max said, well, how, how does that work? He said, well, those towers allowed me to know where I was anywhere in the city. And now that they're gone, I've lost my bearings. That's what evil can do. It can cause us to lose a sense of where we are and where we're going because, let's be honest, evil's powerful. It's very powerful. And here are two things you need to know about evil that I think will help you understand how our God truly can be greater than evil. But you still need to understand them. Here's the first. Evil is greater than our understanding. Let me say it again. Evil is greater than our, any of our understanding. No matter how brilliant you think you might be, no matter how brilliant you think Hawking's might have been or Leonardo da Vinci, evil is still greater than any human's understanding. And I think the sooner that we learn to live with that truth, we actually will live better with that truth. Because we never are going to fully fathom evil's reality and where it fits under God's sovereignty. Many are going to claim that all the injustices in the world prove that there is no God. You know, that's, that's a fair declaration. The daily stories of kids starving. I read this week of a young four-year-old boy who was having trouble not wetting the bed. And it was so frustrating to this particular parent, set of parents that he was living with that they, they beat him severely. Enough that Child Protective Services was called in. And so in order to, to, to not put any more bruises on his face or on his back or on, really on any part of his body, the next time that he wet the bed, they put him in the shower, a cold shower, and then made him to go to bed wet and naked. And he died. Young, sex, young girls are sold for sex slaves, genocides, terrorist acts. And critics say that if God really exists, then that stuff wouldn't happen. Where'd they ever get that idea? In a world where we most certainly have free will, where we have choices, there's one flaw in that thinking. I don't know of any atheist or agnostic that wants to refer to terrorist acts or any unjust oppression of any human as natural selection. Those who are fans of Darwinism, those who are fans of evolution will tell you the stronger animal will always kill the weaker animal. That's survival of the fittest. The stronger species will wipe out the weaker species. That's how it works. It's just natural selection. Well, that works fine when you're talking about a cat killing a lizard. But when it's a stronger man killing a weaker child because he wets the bed, even an atheist says, that's not right. That's not just. That's not just a dad weeding out the weaker males 
in the family. It's wrong. It's immoral. When a stronger nation of people completely wipes out another race of people, folks will rise up, including an atheist, and say, that's not right. And it's not. If you're greater than is natural selection, it is. It's just a survival of the fittest. It's just evolution playing itself out. Or as John Lennon would say, so just let it be, dude. It happens all the time in the animal world and nobody takes an animal to court over it. But you let something like that happen in the human world and someone's going to say that's wrong. When it comes to how we treat each other, it's wrong. We don't want to go by a natural standard when it involves especially my family or me. I want a higher standard. I want a natural standard. And so does every other atheist and agnostic in the world. But could that sense of ought be in existence only because God planted the image of himself in every one of us? I don't think that the presence of evil disproves God's existence. What it does, though, is make me wonder, why then doesn't he do something? Is he just not strong enough? Is, is God not greater than evil? But thanks to Tim Keller, here's, here's the question I have to ask her. Here's the, the problem with me being the critic of all that. It seems we want a God who is so big he can do anything, but he's so small we can understand everything about him. And you can't have both. Let me say that again. It seems we want a God who's so big he can do anything, but so small that we can understand everything about him. And you can't have it both ways. Tim says, it is presumptuous to assume that we have the capacity to discern every potential reason for God allowing evil. I think he's right. And I think it has tremendous implications for how we minister to people who are victims of evil. The Bible tells us to mourn with those who mourn. God never asked me to go explain a tragedy. He certainly doesn't say fix the tragedy for those who mourn. No, he just says, Jimmy, go mourn with them. That's enough. Friend, we will never understand evil. It will always be greater than our feeble explanation, which is why I want to encourage you to hear the words of God through the prophet Isaiah. For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. Do we have that one online, guys? I grew up hearing this one talked about a lot. I haven't heard it talked about even from my lips for a while, so I want to say it again. God says, I want you to understand, my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. Brother, from what I have seen, if you try to cope with evil by reason, you're going to get crushed by it. I have been at times. And what evil reminds us of 10 years ago, 18 years ago, was that horror produced by some of the actions of wicked people brings about an evil that's greater than our understanding but also is greater than our control. Hated to be reminded of both those things, but we were. 
I think it's symbolic that when those planes flew into the World Trade Center and into the Pentagon, they flew into symbols of financial and national security of the strongest nation that's ever existed. And I know the humanist says that man is getting just better and better and better, but I don't see it, do you? It seems to me that evil refuses to be domesticated by our humanity. It's greater than our attempts at education. It's greater than legislation. It's greater than our attempts at militarization to eliminate or even try to contain it at times. Evil is greater than our capacity to control it. And as Christians and as believers in both a seen and an unseen world, we've got a worldview that you're not going to find in the news and in probably not in most classrooms that are called public classrooms. And if you're not a believer for a second, I'd like to ask you to listen with an open mind to a few things God would like to say. Through his scriptures, he makes it clear that the evil problem ultimately is a Satan problem. It's a devil problem. And that's why no court or no Congress and no army is ever going to be able to control it. The Apostle Paul, in one time Jesus hater, turned Jesus follower, writes to a group of believers just like you, and he says this, Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but it's against the rulers and the authorities and against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil that are in heavenly unseen realms. The Apostle John would later write in 1 John 5, 19, We know that we're children of God, and the whole world, this is sobering, is under the control of the evil one. That's post-resurrection church. It's post-Holy Spirit moving into the world. Satan is mentioned by every author of the New Testament, and particularly by Jesus, who taught us to pray, God, please deliver us from the evil one. I think Rick Ashley is on the money when he said, while men focus on the webs of evil, Jesus named the spider. I know a lot of that sounds like bad news. And it is. But here's why I want to shift the gear. Because I really do have some great news to share with you. But I'm going to need your help. Okay? So, wake up. Lean forward. We're going to play a little game called the opposite game. It's real easy. Actually, no, it's really complicated. But y'all are a bright group. I know you can handle this. All right, here we go. I'm going to say something and ask you to give me the opposite, all right? So, the opposite of day is... Oh, excellent. One for one. The opposite of good is very good. The opposite of light is, okay, here we go, last one. The opposite of Satan is, are you sure? I don't think I, I, don't think I heard this particular name. It's Michael. It's Michael. And the reason is because one is the angel of darkness and the other is the angel of light. Satan led a rebellion of angels against God. And he's the leader of the dark angels. Michael is an obedient commander of the good angels. You see, Satan is not, hear me, Satan is not the opposite of God because God has no equal. God has no opposite. And so when he cursed the serpent and told him how it was going to be, the serpent didn't talk back and say, you can't make me. And there's one reason. It's because God is greater than 
the serpent. In 1 John chapter 5 and verse 19, the scripture says, Dear children, you are from God and have overcome because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. So let's think about the implications of this. If God's greater than evil, here's the good news, and he can bring good out of evil. That's why he's greater than. God doesn't ordain evil, but he does use evil to reveal his glory. Let me show you how. We saw a couple examples of this after 9-11. Because we saw that evil day reminded us of some very, very good things that we hadn't seen in a while. Here's the first. People are more important than things. People are more important than things. When we saw images of the burning towers, we didn't run home and hug our stuff, did we? We hugged our families because relationships are greater than things. The second thing we learned, at least for a few days, was the walls of division among us were trivial compared to the walls that were falling down around us. And so for just a a little while, our differences of being Republican and Democrat and black and white and straight and gay and Catholic and Protestant and Muslim and Christian, they, they weren't a luxury anymore. They were deadly. We saw it lived out on a stage. We just soon not have seen it. For a brief moment, we were one people under God again. We remembered that love is greater than hate. We remembered that faith is greater than cynicism when evil strikes. Some way, somehow, even out of all of that destruction, out of all of that evil of 9-11, good things rose to the surface we hadn't seen in a long time. The terrorists sought to bring us to our knees. And you know what? They did. But not in the way they'd expected. There are a lot of stories that come out of the 9-11 tragedy, and you have heard many of the inspiring ones, I know. And probably one of them had to do with Todd Beamer. You remember the heroic acts of him and a handful of others who, on United Flight 93, decided to take action on that flight and make sure wherever this plane was going that it didn't make its destination. And so they attacked the terrorists and that's exactly what happened. Everyone on that plane died though. But hundreds if not thousands of others were saved from the the place that that plane was headed. Lisa, Todd's wife, told us the story in the conversation that took place between her and her husband on that flight via cell phone. But there's one story you may not know from that incredible series of events. A group of Russian journalists came to America to interview Lisa after it was over. And she took them to Princeton Alliance Church where Todd taught Bible school. And in his classroom was an image on the board. It's a picture of a chasm. And on one side is the word people. And on the other side is the word God. And there in the middle was a cross that has Jesus Christ written on it. And the journalist asked, what does all that mean? And Lisa described, he said, well, one side represents humanity. And the other represents God, that's obvious, but what the chasm is, is humanity failing to live up to God's love and laws. And the chasm that created in a relationship between them, and the only way that it was ever going to be bridged was because of God sending his son and him dying on that cross. The bureau chief, by the name of Eugene, said, I've never heard such a thing. He said, would you tell me more? She said, I'll be glad to. She told him about that son that came and died on that cross but didn't stay dead. But three days later, just like he had predicted, God raised him back to life. And he gave his life to that Christ that day. 
But the story didn't stop there. He goes back to Russia, where on his TV shows that has millions of viewers, he showed that exact diagram. And he told that story. And millions of Russian people heard the gospel for the very first time. And I don't think that the dark angels that poisoned the minds of those terrorists that flew those planes into the Twin Towers ever saw that one coming. Did you know right now in Manhattan, New York, there are an estimated 100,000 plus people who are assembling together just like we are this morning that were not 18 years ago. Churches that hold up the scriptures as the word of God and Jesus Christ as the son of God. And of the near 2,000 churches that are in Manhattan, over half of them didn't exist before 9-11. I don't think the forces of evil saw that one coming. It's because God reigns over the very worst evil can do. And no other place has that been proven than like he did at the cross. The greatest act of evil in history didn't happen on a Tuesday. It happened on a Friday. And on a Friday, God took Satan's best shot and his throne never wobbled. The cross has established once and forever that God can bring good out of evil. That's why he's greater than. And more than that, the cross also says this. Please listen up. He understands the horrors of evil because he was a victim of it. Frank Solucia was one of the men involved in searching for bodies after 9-11. And it was at 9.13 in the morning. He was in an area around Tower 6, and this is what he saw. It's a cross. Some of you have seen it before. It was one of the most popular icons that came out of that time in our nation's history. It's now called the Ground Zero Cross or the World Trade Center Cross. It's been taken across the street. And it's brought more comfort and more hope to millions of people than anyone ever expected that it would. And even though the atheists and agnostics in our country have tried to prevent it, it is now a permanent part of the 9-11 memorial. And hopefully so till Jesus comes. I don't know what you think when you see that. But it reminds me of something important, and that is an eternal truth Paul tried to share with a church like you in Rome. That there is nothing... Nothing, no angel, no demon, not life, not death. There is nothing that can separate you from the love of God that he has for you. Not in Christ Jesus. Yes, evil is going to have its moments. We'll give it that. Calvary says that. But Calvary also says evil doesn't get the last word. God gets the last word. He's kind of like a master chess player. I don't play a lot of chess because I don't like to lose. God's a master chess player. And if you've ever played chess against someone who always wins, like my wife does, you don't like to play. God has never heard the words checkmate, ever. And so when enemy traps his people by the sea, and Pharaoh's armies are surrounding them for a slaughter, God still has one more move. When a giant seems undefeatable and no one dares face him, a young shepherd shows up because God has one more move. When a nation is on the cusp of annihilation, a young Jewish girl is made queen because God has one more move. 
And when they placed his son in a tomb, the father watched and eventually even turned his back on that moment because he had one more move. God will always have the last word. Amen? We believe that. It's interesting, the same year the 9-11 occurred, a song was released that was written by a young man by the name of Bart. It's part of a group that we know as Mercy Me. He wrote this song two years earlier when his father died, but it wasn't released till 2001, interestingly enough. You know the song, I Can Only Imagine. With all the evil in the world some days, it's all I can do but imagine what it would be like to be in his presence. Will I stand in his presence? I don't know. Or to my knees will I fall? I don't know. Will I sing hallelujah? Will I even be able to speak at all? I don't know. Great song. But what was stunning was that it was not just playing on Christian radio stations. People started calling in from pop stations and country stations and rap stations all over the country and say, do you have, I can only imagine, can we hear it? It went triple platinum in just a matter of months, becoming the best-selling Christian single ever. And why is it not hard to understand? Because it was in a time when we so desperately needed some hope that a day is coming when evil will have its comeuppance. And being in the presence of God, a good, good Father God, is the only reality that we have to look forward to. Now, I don't want to diminish or make light of the painful reality of evil because some of you may be in the trenches of it right now. But I do want to encourage you, please don't shrink your God. And don't place him in a lower weight class. Jesus wants to offer every single one of us something greater than this life. And it's attached to a God and a Savior that are greater than this life. And it will not, that attachment, erase evil from your life. But I promise you, he will give you the strength to face it and overcome it with hope. Now, if you want in on some of that, I'm going to be standing right down here and welcoming anybody who wants to make Jesus Christ their greater than today. And if you did that one time, sometime back, and he hasn't been, and you know it, and you'd like to have someone put their arms around you to say, would you help me put him back in his rightful place? We'd like to help you with that. We've got a great song that we want to celebrate together. So will you do it with me while we stand and while we sing?